And so I wanted to talk with you this morning. Just uh, You might not know me very well, which you, you don't, but I wanted to give you uh, one of my favorite verses in, in all of Scripture, one of my favorite passages, just to get to know me and how, um, how I see the world, how I see things uh, through God's Scripture. So Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Um, is going to be our text this morning. And of course, if you're here today and you might not have a Bible, there's one in the pew for you, or you can look along on the screen as well. So as you're turning there, I want to ask you a, uh, a few questions. And beginning with is, what do you listen to? In our age of technology, it's become increasingly simple to always be reading social media posts, news articles concerning current events, what our friends and family are doing, uh, you watch TV shows and movies through your iPhones or your tablets or your smart TVs. You listen to music, to podcasts. If you want information, you have. we live in a time where there is an abundance of information. However, does wisdom come from these voices? Are they reliable voices? What role of influence do they play in your life? Is, are these opinions trustworthy? Whose opinion do you trust overall? Could it be a famous celebrity, whether it be an actor or an actress or a musician? Maybe a famous person on TikTok or YouTube, if that's, if that's your thing. Maybe a famous person on cable news or a late-night television host or a politician, family or friend member. I'm asking you these questions not to demean you to listen to voices, because it is a good thing. God has created us in such a way for us to, to be influenced by people. Uh, to dwell with other people. I'm asking you this question for you to be aware that you are influenced by people in some form or fashion. And this is a good thing that God has done for us. Whether it be movies, songs, TV shows, books, social media, people, they are telling you stories. They are telling you opinions. And they might not even realize it. They are telling you something about how they view the world. And, and so I'm coming to this because, see, the people in, in, in Jesus' day, there, it was no different. People talked. People had opinions. People viewed the world in certain ways. And so when Jesus is coming on the scene right here, he is addressing, in, in this very, very famous Sermon on the Mount, he is addressing opinions of the day. He is addressing people of the day. He's addressing issues of the day. And he is bringing them back to what the Scriptures say. So my intention here this morning is to do those things to look at Jesus' final statement here on the Sermon on the Mount, which I think is the core of this sermon. But before we do that this morning, I do want to uh, open us up in prayer. God, be merciful to us this morning. God, in, in our sin, you had no reason to give us your word, but you gave it to us anyways. And I thank you for that. I ask that you would give us grace as we open up your word this morning and let it change our lives. And may we live for your mission continually. Amen. Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. 
When Jesus, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. So I want to focus three things on this text this morning. Uh, I want us to focus on what Jesus' analogy, how the foundation of this analogy is. We're going to focus on the two responses upon this foundation, and then we're going to look on how we are to respond to these words. So first, focusing on the foundation of this analogy. What does verse 24 say? Everyone then who hears these words of mine. I want to th- let's, let's pause here for a second. Because we might read this text, we know that this is a very, very famous passage of Scripture. It's probably one of the most famous uh, sermons in all, the, in all the New Testament. But we can look over these words and we might miss how awestruck these words are. These words of mine. Jesus himself coming on the day when no one knows who he is. They know he has, um, he has, been, he has he's been doing miracles. They know he has a following. They know he has a crowd. But when he gets up here and says, everyone who hears these words of mine, he is harking back authority that only the Old Testament prophets had. He's harking back authority that only Moses had. And that these people only had authority because God had given them that authority. So when we hear these words are mine, he is harking back to the same person who wrote the Old Testament. I am that authority. I am that authority. Think about that for a moment. Don't glance over this text, this verse right here. These are the words of Jesus and they have authority. Even though this parable is a vivid illustration of both life and destruction, Jesus is hinging his words upon this foundation. And don't miss it, this is a very polarizing response. This is a very polarizing response. Uh, This passage in Matthew's Gospel is setting up who Jesus is. And Jesus is making the statement that if you want to know who God is, you must listen to my words. These words of Jesus help us create the category which we have, which we call where it's God's word is trustworthy. God's word has authority. And I have to ask the question: How is this statement received today? For someone having complete authority over all things, and that the foundation of life is built upon His words, how is that statement received today? Are these words just among the many to be gleaned from? Uh, but on the same grounds as may the words of Buddha, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, maybe science, emotions, they all have the exact same state of authority. Not too long ago, uh, what's called the state of theology study, it's a very, very famous study that just came out a couple weeks ago, that LifeWay Research, the same people who do your Sunday school material, they asked this question to people from various backgrounds and cultures in America. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but it's not literally true. It's not authoritative. Do you agree, yes or no? In 2014, 41% agreed with that statement. 2016, 44. 2018, 47. 2020, 48. 2022, 53% agree that the Bible itself has no authority and is on the exact same grounds as any other ancient writing from other religions. So very much clearly that our society itself, people in our culture, people who influence us, they believe that the Bible is just another book. 
They might even say, why would I listen to someone who spoke 2,000 years ago? Why would I give them the authority over my life? But see, that's what Jesus is putting here. You can't understand this analogy. You can't understand this story without putting the fact that Jesus is the foundation for this analogy. Now let's turn to these two responses here. So uh, verse 24, the one who hears is the one who is wise. The one who hears is the one who is wise. Everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The one who hears is the one who is wise. The very words of Jesus are this strong foundation. But I want to I want us to take a step back for a second when we talk about building a house. I mean, in our context, in our culture here, we talk about building a house, and sometimes building a house can be does have family aspects to it, but it's strictly very much economical. So yes, we might come here, we might build a house, maybe we live it for 20, 30, 40 years, and then maybe we'll sell this house as an inheritance to our children later on in life. Um, and then maybe when they get older, they marry, they have a family, they build their own house in their own area, of the, whether it be in this city or another city in this country, maybe somewhere else. You see, to the Jewish person, Building a house meant something much more distinctive than that. If you're building a house in Jewish culture, you are building a house for your great-great-great-grandchildren. Your family is going to live there, their kids are going to live there, and their kids are going to live there, on and on and on. So when Jesus is saying the wise man is building his house on a firm foundation on the rock, this wise man is not thinking about his generation. He is thinking about generations to come. He has a more elongated perspective than sometimes we have. So when we, we have to come to this text, and this truly is wise for this man to do it. And so Jesus is building up this picture that the one is wise. He is the one who is thinking about the future. Let's also look at what this man does. He says, the one who hears the words of mine and does them. Hearing plus obeying the words of Jesus. I want you to look at this, because when we think about people itself, oh, this person is a wise person in our context. He might be someone who has intelligence. He might be someone who's had many experiences, and he, he's older in life, and he, he, he's been around the block. But notice what the wise man is here. It's not based on his intelligence. It's not based upon what kind of house he built. It's not based upon how fancy the house is. It's not based upon how good the house looks. It's not based upon whether or not he has marble countertops in the house. He's based in this house is a firm foundation house only because the wise man has heard and he obeys what Jesus has said. And see, this concept is not new in the New Testament. Uh, this concept is very much echoed in what James says in James chapter 1. Uh, verse 22, the one who does be a doer of the word and not hearers only because you will deceive yourself. For anyone who is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. But he, he looks away and forgets about it. But the one who looks into the perfect law, referencing the words of Jesus, referencing the Old Testament, the New Testament, one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Being no hearer, he forgets because he is a doer. He will be blessed. He will be blessed by what he does, by obeying 
the words of Jesus. James goes on to say in James 2, the one without works does not have faith. Faith without works is dead. This is not a, I'm saying this because this is not a new concept. This is not a new concept. And even just these uh, first two chapters, Matthew 5 through 7, time and time again, Jesus has been giving command after command after command. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine upon men. Matthew 5, 29 through 20, or 29 through 30, cut off your limb, which causes you sin. Let your word be true. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute. Lay for treasures in heaven. Don't be anxious about things, but seek first God's kingdom. Jesus' teachings is filled with commands. So this one is no different. Jesus is building upon a foundation about what, what his commands mean. But I do love this analogy of building a house on a firm foundation or building your house upon an unfirm foundation because it's something that resonates with us. Jesus does this time and time again. He, he's making an analogy that his audience understands. And we understand this. He gives a real-life situation. Y'all live in Andalusia, and I'm from South Alabama. It's when, you, when you're thinking about the summertime, what's going on right now? It's hurricane season. I mean, there's, there's a hurricane coming to Florida probably next week. Um, state of, Governor DeSantis has already issued a state of emergency. Hurricanes are always on your mind this time of the year. Tornadoes in the springtime, or even sometimes this time. It's not when, it's not if the storm is going to come. It's going to be when the storm is coming. When you, you think about these things, storms are a fitting context in this analogy. So the focus must be upon our foundation because just in the Christian life is the exact same way. Storms are going to come. The winds will come. The rain will come. They will beat upon your foundation. The question is whether or not your foundation is firm. Because uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2 through 20, Jesus is the cornerstone for the church, which is being built up for a place for God to dwell. So we looked at the one who, who is, has, is described not as being intelligent or smart. He's not being described by the way he looks, not being described by his experience. He's being described by what he has done, the one who obeys and hears the words of Jesus. And I want us to. Look at the second person. This person will be the one who disregards Jesus and ignores the words of Jesus will be put to shame. The one who disregards Jesus will be put to shame. Because Jesus equates the one who just hears, but he doesn't obey. He is the one who is considered a fool. You might be reading this, and this is very harsh language. Don't get me wrong. This is very harsh language. And even in our in our language, we, we don't we we might say the word, oh, that's foolish, or you're being foolish. But do we really like in our do we say you know you're a fool? No, we don't because it's very insulting, and that's why Jesus is we, the same root of this word. Almost we get the word moronic from it or moron from it is also the exact same context. So Jesus is using very harsh language here, talking about the one who is a fool, and. By his actions, you see that in, in verse 26 or 27. The fool is the one who builds his house on the sand. 
and like you look at this, and this makes no sense. And we live, what is, were we, 60 miles from Destin, 45 miles from Destin? If you go there and you see a house built directly on the sand, no sand poles, no nothing, sitting there, you know when a storm is going to come and the waters rise, what's going to happen to that house? It's gone. Like, it's, nothing will, nothing good can come of that. Even though they might say, well, it looks really pretty here. It's a nice, nice, pretty view. We can see the dolphins sometimes. We can see the nice fish from here. We're right here by the beach. But if there's no protection for that house, that house will not be there if the hurricane comes. Both are building their house, both the wise and the fool. But the fool will be the one who is revealed either not to have taken the words of Jesus seriously or not even heeded his words at all. It is worth repeating that the foolish one is the one who does not obey the words of Jesus. He hears the words, but he doesn't obey. He hears the words, but he doesn't obey. And I do want you to hear the harshness of the language here. Because the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell on the foolish man's house. But Jesus doesn't stop there in verse 27. And great was fall of it. So it's not just like, it's not just a, a small tragedy uh, of just very, very small proportions that you might, that it doesn't make the news or nobody reads about it on Facebook. No, this is a tragedy that will be seen worldwide. This is a tragedy that will be, it is the penultimate revelation of judgment from the priest, from the, from the three previous illustrations that Jesus has given before this passage, talking about the wide gate leading to destruction and the narrow one leading to life. Or Jesus says in Matthew seven nineteen, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be burned. Or even the really, really hard passage to read, the one who does the will of the Father, the one who does not do the will of the Father will be forgotten by Jesus himself. Great will be the fall of the fool. This is public spectacle, just like the Queen of England died and in just a amount of hours, everyone in this entire world knew the Queen of England died. So will the news of the fool in his house be fallen. Now, I know that's very harsh language to hear. Because um, it is. It's a warning. Jesus, Jesus is talking about eternal judgment here. And you might ask the question, how can Jesus be so harsh to this? How can Jesus say this statement? See, you have to realize in the same point that the one who is the fool is the one who doesn't obey Jesus. He is the one who is rebelling against Him. The one who has no desire to say what Jesus wants to say. He is one who is full of sin. Because no, because Paul will later write about people who rebel against God. He is, they are not righteous. No, not one. They do not understand. They do not seek after God. They have all turned aside, but together they become worthless. They do not do good. Venom of asp is under their list. There is no fear of God before their eyes. For they are darkened of their understanding, alienated from life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Think of the progression of Genesis 4-6 through 6 on how when we first rebelled against God, it went from murdering our brother out of hatred, and in private, to murdering a family member and then be a spectacle of it. 
We might not realize it now, but we, as rebellious people of God, we are very sinful people. And given to our own devices, we are capable of very evil actions. We are not innocent in God's eyes. We deserve His judgment. We, we look at the calamities. We look at the storms in our life. We look at what's going on. And we, we cry out to God, God, why... Why do you allow evil to come? Why do you allow evil to permit? Why do you allow rulers and warlords to rule over and and hurt people? Why can't you wipe us away from this? But if we looked a little bit closer, we would say that I am still at evil. I still have sin in my life. And if God were to come back, He would have to judge me. And where would I stand before God Almighty? But I don't want you to think of this verse as completely harsh. But think of this as God's mercy. Think of this as God's grace. See, because the fact of the matter is, God owes us nothing. God, we have been, as rebellious against God, God owes us nothing. God didn't have to come into this world and to save people. It was by His own grace that He revealed Himself to Abraham and said, through your seed, I will make a blessing to the nations. So don't think of this warning as judgment. Think of this warning as God's mercy to you today. Whether it be a reminder or a recall, don't see it, don't see it that way. Jesus is the one who is pronouncing judgment, but He will also be the one at the end of Matthew who will be the one to save his people from their sins. Instead of God choosing to wipe away mankind because of their sin, he instead chose for the Son to enter this life that we might have life. Because of this, Jesus in Matthew 7, his teaching and his actions don't end here. They end at the cross and the resurrection. And now to the ascension, and His return, which we look forward to. Jesus backs up His words by doing what none of us could ever do. He is the one who saves us. So if you look at this passage, and you see the warning, you see the harsh language, also knows that you should see God's grace. That His own work will not lead to destruction but your work will. Your work will lead to destruction. Your own work will end in curses, not blessings. It's it's led certain people like uh, Professor D.A. Carson to say this about this passage. Indeed, Jesus' teachings has important things to say about race relationships, justice, personal integrity, but it cannot be fairly reduced to things of temporal concerns in lifetime here. There is a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned. So I ask the last question in response. Where does your foundation lie? Is your foundation on the words of Jesus? Upon God's word that has been preserved and perfected for us? Or is your foundation in your own work and what you call truth? 
to the parents out here, are you laying a foundation for your home in God's Word? Are you raising your children in such a way that they see the Word of God as a framework for their life, a way for them to view how they can be part of God's mission? Maybe you're not a parent here. Maybe you're not even married here. But are you, are you doing the same thing? Is your framework, is your life built upon the words of Jesus here? These are not easy commands, by no means. But they are commands that bring life and not death. They are the commands because Jesus is the one. Through His work, salvation comes. Are you spending time knowing what He has said? Are you spending time reflecting upon what He says and allowing the Holy Spirit to take that word and to change your life? Not, you can't say yes to any of those. How much do you love your own house? You might have a nice house. You might have property. You might have a nice job. I don't know who you are. I don't know how God has already blessed you in your life. But I do know this. All those things are temporal. This life is but a vapor. Do you love the foundation of your life enough to ignore the words of Jesus? Because it's not if the storm is coming. You know, it is when the storm is coming. Storms of life will bring you to your knees. Is your foundation upon Christ Jesus and what He has done? Is your foundation upon what He has done on the cross and being resurrected, putting all enemies underneath His feet? There is no other God you must serve. There's no one else who could possibly be worthy of serving. If Jesus is Lord over all creation... He is the one to serve. He is the one to trust. He is the one who has acted mercifully to us. And maybe also at the same time, if you knew a hurricane was coming here today, if you knew a tornado was coming by today, would you tell somebody who didn't know about it? Will you tell others about how Jesus is the only way to true wisdom and to true blessing, not only in this life, but the life to come? See, also in this passage, we can't help from the the fact that we have both friends and family members around us who live the way they want to. They don't hear and obey the words of Jesus. They need to hear the same mercy in God's grace. And if that's you today, I want you to know that God has been gracious to you throughout your whole life and up to this point today. You may have came here today not knowing what to expect. You just wandered in or maybe you're watching the live stream here today. But God has been gracious to you. You have heard His good news. And He calls you to respond to it. He calls you willingly, come join my family. Come join my kingdom because mine is the kingdom that will never end. Don't leave here today and continue to be God's enemy. But be here today and be His friend. Don't be the one who continues to rebel against Jesus. But be the one who follows Jesus. Just like Jesus ended His sermon by telling His audience there is only two responses to His sermon. The same question is given towards us today. 
Will you see the Word of God as truth and the fitting foundation for your life? Regardless of storms that might come or when wind and rain will beat against your very belief, your very core for which you live, the one who has faith in Christ, the one who produces fruit of his actions, he will not be put to shame. However, if this is not your response, then your foundation is already marked for judgment. I don't want that for you. I really and I truly don't. You might not know me at all, but I really don't want that for you. I want your foundation to be with who Christ is, what He has spoken. Because these are not my words. Regardless of what Chris says, I am not that educated of a person. I am not that smart of a person. And I know that. And I am humbled by that. But I, I am focused upon what Jesus said because I know for, for everything of life and godliness, this is what it stands upon. Allow you, uh, I plead you to hear His words of grace and compassion, even though they seem harsh. See, because you can't be like it says in verse 28 through 29, where the crowd said, we've heard no one like this. He teaches as one with authority, not like anybody else we've heard. But you know what? Those same people are the ones who betray Him. Judas was there on that day. He heard the authority of Jesus' words, but he didn't obey them. He betrayed Him. The crowds were there that day. They heard Jesus' words. But they betrayed Him. It's not just enough to hear His words. It's not just enough to, to listen to His words. We must obey them. And He has called us to repent. He has called us to trust in Him for salvation, not in your own works. Hearing alone will only prove that you are no different than the demons who believe but still refuse to submit to the Lordship of Christ. Maybe that's you here this morning. I would love to... Um, Nathan would love to come here. He would love to pray with you. He would love to tell you more about what that looks like, what that means. So now we're moving into a time of response this morning. If that's something you so choose... Uh, please come during the closing hymn. I'm going to close us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I am always humbled at what Your Word says. To this day, it can be spoken and authority is there. That You have authority over all things and we thank You for that. Father, I ask that there's anyone here who may not know You at all has ran from You, rebelled against You, that they would run towards Your grace which Christ has done on their behalf. Bless the people here in Bethany Baptist. In Your name we pray. Amen.